Glad you've joined us. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is John, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. And uh, it is a new year. This is our first uh, service of the new year. And with the new year comes new possibilities, doesn't it? It's weird because January 1st was no different than December 31st, but somehow it does feel different. It feels like this is an opportunity to assess how last year went and then decide how we want to go into this year. It's a really neat opportunity. And we have moments like that in our life that are kind of like, they're sort of like assessment moments or value moments where we look back and then we look forward and think about what it means for us. Um, So at New Year's, oftentimes we're doing resolutions. Did anybody make a resolution? Raise your hand if you made resolutions. Have we been beaten down that much that only... One, is that, is that how much life has gotten us that we don't even make them anymore? I was, oh yeah, you don't want to admit that it's the 8th of January and you're not doing it anymore, are you? That's, that's it, you made resolutions. No, these are goals. Okay, that's probably better, yeah? Uh, I, I made a couple of resolutions this year. Yeah, I actually did, and I don't usually do it, but this year, and every year, maybe my mentality is different, but this year I was like, you know what, I'm gonna make a couple resolutions, manageable ones, and I figure... I've always been disappointed because I set out to do these things and I'm going to do this all year long and then I do it for a month or whatever, you know, and then I feel disappointed by that. Um, And this year I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do these things and if I do them for a week, that's still a net positive, right? So why not? And if I do them longer than that, that's even better. So let's just, you know, went with a manageable goal. But there are times where we face some sort of transition or moment, and it makes us assess or evaluate things in our life. And um, we had not only had New Year's, but there was also a big one that just happened for anybody who's a sports fan, all right? And I'm a huge football fan. It's the number one sport for me. And if you didn't already know I was going to talk about this, shame on you. You should have known I was going to talk about this, because not only am I a massive NFL football fan, but specifically, I'm a lifelong diehard Buffalo Bills fan. And so, yeah, I'll get that. I know we got some Bills fans in the room. I've seen some gear around the room. Love you. Um, go Bills. But uh, this past week, there was a huge game, Monday night game. And if you, I'm sure most of you have heard about this because it was all over the news, but maybe you haven't. Um, but Monday night was a huge game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals and huge playoff implications because the playoffs are about to start. And um, so, and it started off fast. It looked like it was going to be a shootout. The, the Bengals scored a touchdown on their first possession. Bills drove down, kicked a field goal on their first possession. It looked like it was going to be 100 to 101, maybe, by the time the score was all settled. And, but on the, the second possession for the Bengals, the quarterback threw to wide receiver, and uh, the safety for the Buffalo Bills made the tackle. Totally routine tackle, nothing, no super hard impact, no helmet-to-helmet contact, nothing like that. Normal play, normal run-of-the-mill tackle. And the, the defender, DeMar Hamlin for the Bills, stood up after the tackle, stood up for about two seconds, and then just fell over. And... Instantly, it was like everybody, and, and I don't remember if Jess was in the room at, the, at that time or not, but instantly, were you in the room when it happened? You were in the room when it happened. I thought so. I thought so, but I didn't want to get it wrong. I want to get it right. Um, but I looked at her. As soon as he hit the ground, I said, that is not good at all. And um, as the, the training staff and everybody came out to attend to him, it became very clear this was not a normal injury to a player. And Eventually, all the the Buffalo Bills players surrounded him in a circle. They brought an ambulance out on the field, 
and uh, there, were, there were Bills players that were crying, that were kneeling down and praying, and we were all kind of figuring out what had happened. And as it turns out, what happened was that uh, he went into cardiac arrest on the field. He was not breathing, and he did not have a pulse. And so they started doing CPR on him on the field. They had to bring out the AED, the paddles, the defibrillator, the, the mobile one. They had to bring it out, and they had to, to defibrillate. I can't say that word. I can't do it. They had to shock him. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Was that Gary? Thank you. Uh, they, they, had to, they had to shock him on the field. And so now this is, as far as I know and as far as I've heard, this has never happened in an NFL game before. They, they have never had lots of different kinds of injuries, but never anything like this. People were scared out of their mind, and rightly so. And everybody was reacting to this in the moment. And in the moment, I feel like everybody reacted really, really well. Um, so I'm thankful for that. But it sent a shock through everyone. And he ended up being um, taken to the, to the local hospital, and they canceled the game. They just stopped. They didn't play the game. And they're not going to play the game. And so um, they took him to the hospital, and now slowly but surely, and I guess his heart stopped again at the hospital, um, they had to intubate him. He was on a breathing machine, and as of right now, he is awake, alert, breathing on his own, and he's still technically in critical condition, but he's communicating, and prognosis is good. But it was, and, and thank God for that, and there was so much, I just want to take a second to say this, it's so cool, there was so much prayer happening this week. And people fight for their life all the time, and it would, I would like for there to be that much prayer for people all of the time, but this one happened live in front of the world, and so people were praying, and in fact, after they took um, DeMar off of the field in the ambulance, and all the players and coaches and everybody just trying to figure out what in the world, where do we go from here, what do we do, the first thing that Coach McDermott, the, the Bills coach, did was gather all of the Buffalo Bills in a giant circle. They all got down on their knees, and they prayed together. And then you saw throughout the week constantly people saying, we're praying for you. Pray for, that was the graphic. That was the thumbnail. That was the thing every single NFL team put on their social media, pray for Hamlin, pray for DeMar. And uh, it was beautiful to see. And I was mentioning this to, to Sean. We were uh, texting the other day about it. He's a Bills fan too. And, um, and I said, you know, normally when stuff like this happens, People say thoughts and prayers. That's the phrase you always hear, right? It's like the, the PC phrase, thoughts and prayers. I didn't hear that this week. All I heard were prayers. That's what everyone said. We're praying for you. I think it was on like NFL Live, the ESPN national broadcast, Dan Orlovsky, who's one of the commentators that's on there all the time, he stopped and he prayed for DeMar on air. Um, and so it was beautiful to see the, the amount of prayer. And I have to believe that had something to do with the uh, recovery that he's had. For him to go through what he went through, um, and uh, they, anyway, I could talk about that for a while. I'm not going to talk too much more about that. But, but it was beautiful to see that happen, all right? Beautiful to see that happen and beautiful to see people come together. And every now and then there are like milepost moments in our culture where that happens. And one of them happened this week. It was really neat to see. But what struck me among, amongst a lot of other things were the reactions of players, current and former players, to this injury happening on the field. Because as they were taking it in and trying to understand it and process it, it was like for them a door had been opened that they either always thought was locked or they didn't know was there. 
Because they saw injuries, players see injuries all the time on the field. You see people who break bones or who, who roll ankles or who get concussions or even who get paralyzed. And so they know those things are potentially going to happen on the field. And they're hard, but they've learned to deal with them. But this was the first time any of those players in their NFL career saw a player on the field fighting for his life. And it was like all of them instantly went, whoa, I didn't know that could happen. I, I didn't know that was possible. And that has to m- totally mess with your psyche when you go out there to play a game that all of a sudden this thing is a possibility that in my head wasn't a possibility before. And you saw a lot of players as they're talking through this, evaluating the value, evaluating whether certain things are worth it. It makes you stop and go, this kid was 20, it's 24 years old, 20, 24, 25 years old, in basically perfect health, and to have an injury like that, all of a sudden it triggered something. And there are moments for us that do this. It triggered for everyone. Life is not as secure as I thought it was. It's not as sure as I thought it was. And there are moments like that that happen. It could be that. It could be a lot of things that happen in our lives where we suddenly realize somehow in our mind, because we've had time, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're going to have time or that we're assured time. And we're not. And even as we look at a year and we think, wow, okay, congratulations, we made it through 2023. (laughs) And we hope to make it through 2022. Sorry, we made it through 2022. I can't keep track. I wrote it wrong five times this week, all right? And we hope to make it through 2023, but we just don't know. And there's, there's this principle in, it's an economic principle, it's the principle of scarcity. That the more scarce something is, or the lower the supply, or perceived supply of something is, the higher the price goes, or the higher the value goes. And when you suddenly realize that maybe you don't have as much time as you thought, or you might not have as much time as you thought, suddenly the value of the time that you have here goes up. Or should. And that's what you saw. That's what you saw this week. That's what you see anytime tragedy like that strikes by those it impacts. And so I think this is a great time, whether it's New Year's or tragedy or something else, for us to look at our lives and to say, have I been using my life well? Have I been using my life in a way that is impactful? Have I been using my life in a way that's meaningful? Have I been using my time? Have I been using my body? Have I been using my energy? Have I been using my money? Have I been using everything that I have in a way that actually means something? And if we're going to set goals for the year, if we're going to set resolutions or whatever you may have, do those things actually matter? Am I going to do things this year that are going to increase the impact and effectiveness of my own life? So that my life does something that really matters. How can I use my life to have the greatest impact? And so that's what I want to talk about today. How can you use your life to have the greatest impact this year? Uh, We live, you see the graphics, right? Hashtag influencer. We live in a society where there's a lot of opportunities to influence people and to have an impact. And now actually the term influencer is for someone in social media who's online and Specifically, it is for someone who uses their influence to sell products. That's what it's technically used for. Um, 
I would say that's probably not the best use of someone's influence. And that your life and your resources and your relationships could do something much greater and much better this year. That you could become an influencer this year. Now, how does that happen? How do you do that? Because it's, it's going to require some, if we want to go to a higher level of impact, it's going to require some changes on our part. So how do we do that? Well, I want to start today by looking at an example. He was the first example that popped into my mind, which is why we're going to talk about him. I think he's the most obvious example of this. Is a guy named Moses. Now, most of you probably are familiar with Moses' story. And Moses' life lays out in sort of three chapters, all right, or three sections, and they're all about 40 years long. So as a baby, he's born an Israelite, but they're in captivity in Egypt, and they're in, the babies are in danger right then. And so his mother famously puts him into a basket and pushes him out into the river, and he floats through the river, which, by the way, don't do that. Okay, this was special, <laughs> just not a good idea. All right, so disclaimer time, right? So she puts him in a basket, floats him out of the river, and he's found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh finds him and raises him as her own. So he is an Israelite, but he's essentially raised as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's house, which gives him power and prestige and all of those sorts of things. Yet he is an Israelite. And so after about 40 years, he's raised as an Egyptian. After 40 years, he sees an Egyptian guard mistreating an Israelite person working, and he kills him. He kills the guard. And this is a long story short, but ultimately he's got to get out of there. And so uh, Moses leaves, and he goes to a place called Midian, where his father-in-law, Jethro, he goes and he has to hide out. And so at 40 years old, he totally changes his life and his career and his lifestyle and everything, and he becomes a shepherd. And he does that for 40 years. So he's got all this, like, fast, well, as fast-paced as a lifestyle could be then, there's all this life and living in Egypt and all that going on for 40 years, and then basically at the drop of a hat, now he's in a field looking at sheep all day for 40 years. All right? He spends 40 years tending sheep, and he's now roughly 80 years old. 80 years old. Some might say past his prime. God would disagree. (laughs) 80 years old, tending sheep. And then this happens. We're going to read in Exodus chapter 3. So if you're going to take a moment, you want to get there in your Bibles or pull it up on your phones. We will put it on the screen, but I'm going to read a good bit here, so it's going to be coming kind of fast up on the screen. Give you a second to get there. So just picture him, picture Moses. This is just a normal day. This is an everyday day. Moses, sheep, sheep, Moses. I'm just going to keep saying that until I hear pages stop turning. All right. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. All right, here we go. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn, which I find a very funny way to say that. 
All right, that's a very like proper way to say what he was thinking. I tend to think he was more like, whoa, I got to see that. You know, that might be a more accurate translation. What is going on with that bush? All right, verse four. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Can you imagine? I just I'm putting, Put yourself in Moses' shoes. I just can't imagine how this is all going down. Here I am, he says. Verse 5. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. At this moment, by the way, if I could just pause. This, this draws me back to um, when we were going through at Christmas, and the angel shows up to Mary to tell her what is going to happen with her. And the, fr- the phrase in Scripture is, and she wondered what kind of greeting this was. <laughs> when the angel says, you know, I'm here, and she says, I wonder what greeting this is. Like, which way is this going to go? <laughs> Moses knows that he has committed murder, by the way. He spent 40 years living in the desert tending sheep, even though he had this entire history. And now all of a sudden, God is speaking to him out of a bush. What could this possibly be all about? Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Now, pause for a second. Something really cool is happening here that, I, that never struck me until this week when I was reading this passage. Because what God says here, he says, I have seen the oppression of the Israelites in Egypt, and I want to deliver them. I have seen the oppression. And it breaks his heart, and he wants to set them free. And when God says that, even though Moses has been in the desert for 40 years, God is immediately tapping into something that is already in Moses' heart. Because the reason that Moses has been in the desert for 40 years is because he saw the the oppression of the Israelites. And his reaction was violence. He went about it the wrong way. But his heart was broken for the people too. And then he sat with that for 40 years. And finally, God comes to him and says, I have seen it and it's time. And I don't know, I'm probably a weaker person than Moses. But my response would probably be, where have you been? Like, what have you been waiting for? I was ready to go 40 years ago. But God's timing is always perfect. And there are times where we have something in our heart and God says, wait, God says, wait, God says, wait. And we have to wait on his timing. And Moses had to wait. But God comes to him and he says, I have seen all of this. And Moses is thinking, that's great. Why are you going to do it? 
Verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? (laughs) What a big, I mean, me? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. Moses' first response, as I think all of ours would be, would, would be to say, not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not qualified to do that. How would I be qualified to do that? I mean, Moses is like, I can't even go back there. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a wanted man. They know what I did. I, I, can't, I can't go back to Egypt. And, and he feels unqualified to do this. And so then he gets into this really sort of, I think, funny exchange with God over his incapability to do what God was telling him to do. Like as if God had made a mistake and God had picked the wrong person to do this. He's like, oh, well, I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't know that about you, Moses. You're right. I will choose somebody else. They, they, start, they start going back and forth. And uh, God says right after this, and I'm going I'm to uh, kind of just work through some of the, the following scriptures here and just kind of explain them instead of reading. But um, he, God says, I will certainly be with you. And he says, by the way, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign that it's going to happen. And here's the sign. It's going to happen. It's pretty funny. <laughs> he said, here's a sign to you. You're going to go and you're going to do this, and then you're going to come back and worship me on this mountain. There's your sign. The sign is I told you to do it, and you're going to go, and you're going to do it. And he says, well, what if they don't believe me? Or who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them, I am who I am sent, sent you. And then God lays out the plan of exa- exactly how it's going to happen, how it's going to go down. And Moses still can't believe that he's chosen for this. He still can't believe. He's like, nobody's going to believe me. They're not going to follow me. They're not going to listen to me. And so he says, what if they don't believe me? And God says, what do you have in your hand? He said, a rod. He had a staff in his hand. And God said, throw it down on the ground. And so Moses throws it down on the ground. And as soon as it falls on the ground, the staff turns into a snake. And what does Moses do? He runs away. Because that's what you should do when you see a snake, by the way. But God says, no, 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 no. Go and you pick that that snake up by the tail. And again, maybe this is why God chose Moses and not me, because I'm not doing that. God would have to tell me to pick up a snake by the tail in order for me to do it. But he tells Moses, pick the snake up by the tail. And so he grabs the snake by the tail, and it turns back into the staff, back into a rod. And God says, okay, and if that doesn't work, I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it into your bosom or put it into your belly. Put it in right here. And so he puts his hand in. He pulls his hand out and it's completely covered in leprosy. He says, okay, put it back in. So he puts his hand back in, pulls it out, and his hand is fine now. God says, and if that doesn't work, then what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the river and I want you to draw some water out of the river and pour it onto the ground. And when you pour it onto the ground, it will turn into blood. That should do it. That should be enough to convince them that you are the person that I have chosen. And even though Moses knows that he's been chosen by God, he still feels unqualified to do what God is asking him to do. Because he says, God, you don't understand. I don't speak good. I am not eloquent of speech or thought. 
I'm slow to speak and slow to say things. I, I, I get, you know, I get, I feel like this because when I can plan what I'm saying, I'm good. Put me in a social situation where I got to figure it out on the fly, I'm a wreck, okay? Say the most awkward things you've ever heard in your entire life. So I can, I can totally, it happened this week, I can totally relate to him on this. He says, I can't speak well. So you can't choose me. I mean, you're not going to put me up in front of a bunch of people and have me go to Pharaoh and then stand in front of, like, that, it's not going to work. And God says, don't worry about that because I'm going to speak for you. I'm going to tell you what to speak and you'll say it. Don't worry about that. But Moses still can't get his head wrapped around. He's like, please, God, just go with someone else. I mean, there's got to be someone more qualified, somebody better suited to do this. And it says God gets angry at him at this point. But he says, fine, your brother, Aaron, he's a Levite, right? He's a priest, like, he can speak well. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring him into this, and I will speak to you, and then you will speak to Aaron, and then Aaron will be the spokesperson to the people. Well, at that point, God has assassinated all of his excuses, and Moses agrees, and he goes. And God with him, and the support of Aaron, and the passion that was already in his heart. He didn't understand at the time, but he was actually perfectly positioned to do exactly what God wanted him to do. God had been preparing him for this for a long time. He went and he did it, and he changed the course of history. And Moses is one of the most influential people who has ever walked the face of the planet. Moses is the one who went, of course, to Pharaoh and um, demanded that the people be released, that led them through the plagues, that ultimately walked out of Egypt with the Israelites, that held up his staff while the people walked through the Dead Sea, who led them through the desert, who taught them, led them in the wilderness, led them to the doorstep of the promised land, even though he didn't get to go in. Moses was the one who received the law from God, the Mosaic law, Moses, Mosaic law. He received the Mosaic law from God, and so Israel had the law through him. And Moses is the one who's responsible for writing down the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. There was all oral tradition up until that point, and Moses is the one who had that written down and transcribed. One of the most influential people who ever walked the face of the planet, and he was a shepherd that God used. God may call you to something huge this year. And your first response to that may be to feel very unqualified to do it. And you are. But if God is with you, you are not. So he may call you to do something huge this year, something culture-shaking, something history-changing. And if he calls you to do it, you need to step in faith to do that and not be afraid of any sacrifice, any risk, any inadequacy in order to do it. You just need to say yes and then walk with him. He may call you to do that this year. And if he does, go with faith. Do not be afraid. He is with you. And I, listen, don't wait for a burning bush. It ain't coming. Okay? God doesn't need to use burning bushes for you anymore. You know why? Because he has placed his spirit in you. 
So we don't need the outside signs that they needed before the Spirit came. The Spirit is within us. He's leading us, and he guides us, and he will speak to you that way. And if he calls you to do something good, something big, something huge, go do something big and huge this year. It would be incredible. All right, God, because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and trusted him for salvation, God has put his spirit within us, and he leads us, and he guides us. All right, and if you want his spirit within you, you can also trust Christ for salvation if you've never done that before, his death and his resurrection, as we talked about during communion. But I also want to say this, because God may call you to do something huge. I also want to say that Moses has come around once in generations. There's only one Moses. There is only one David. Well, there's a lot of Davids, but there's only, one, there's only one King David, right? There's only one James, the brother of Jesus. There is only one Martin Luther. There's only one Billy Graham. Like, these generation-changing, culture-changing people only come around every so often. And so that may be you. But most likely, like me, what God has in store for us is a change and an influence that is so more subtle. Because for some of us, we think about that big, huge, massive change thing, and we're like, well, I can't even, like, it's so, it could be paralyzing to think of something of that scale. But God has planned some of you for things of that level. For others of us, I think it is a little more subtle than that. How do I know that? Because I believe Jesus said that. In, In Matthew 25, Jesus, it's the last week before his crucifixion. And there's a lot of really intense teaching that happens from Jesus in this week. He's trying to get the people, his followers and his disciples, he's trying to get them prepared for what's about to happen because they don't know what's coming. Jesus knows, but they don't know. And so he spends the week uh, between what we call Palm Sunday when Jesus' triumphal entry, Jesus enters Jerusalem, up until his crucifixion on essentially Friday night. He spends that week in some pretty escalating and intense teachings. And in Matthew chapter 25, he's telling some stories. He tells two stories and then one that's not really a story, but kind of. The first story he tells, uh, and he's trying to get them ready for after, okay, after his his death and his resurrection and his return, uh, his ascension. So he is, the first story he tells, we call the parable of the 10 virgins. And it, it works like this. He says there's, um, there were 10 bridesmaids, and the, the custom was that they would be preparing for the wedding, and then at some point the groom would come, and they needed to be ready for the wedding when the groom finally came, and then they would all go off together to the wedding ceremony. So the bridesmaids were supposed to be preparing, and in the story, some of them are prepared and some of them are not, and then the groom returns while some are ready and some are not, and so then they go to the wedding, and those who are ready go to the wedding, into the wedding, and those who are not ready do not go to the wedding. That's the story. And, of course, what Jesus is teaching there is that he is going to return, and when he does, we will not know when that happens. And so we need to be ready at all times. So we need to be prepared, and that's what we're doing right now as the church. We are waiting for Jesus to return, and we're trying to wait well and honor him and serve him and love him until he returns. And that may happen in your lifetime or my lifetime, or it may not. But that's what we're doing. We're waiting for him to come back and establish his kingdom here. And so he says in the story, you're not going to know when that happens, so you need to be ready always. You're not going to know when I'm going to return. Then he tells another story. It's called the parable of the talents. 
It's about a master who's going away for some time, and he has three servants, and so he entrusts to them different amounts of money or talents while he's gone. And so he leaves, and they decide what to do with that money. And then he comes back unexpectedly, just like in the first story. He comes back unexpectedly, and when he comes back, he has them account for what they've done. And two of the servants who had different amounts of money to begin with, they both doubled their money, and so they were both rewarded and rewarded equally in this story, in this, this version. And then there was a third servant who took the money and buried it in the ground. And the master is very displeased with the, the servant who buried the money in the ground. The others had put it to work. And so the, the, the essence of that story is Christ will return and he will, we will have to account for what we've done with our life whether we've invested it into something that matters because everything that we have is a gift from God, our body, our soul, our mind, our finances, our relationships, our influence, we'll have to give an account for how we used that. Did we use it for his glory? Did we use it for his kingdom? Did we use it for things that are eternal and really matter or not? And then he tells, he goes into what is not really a story but has a story element to it. He says, when the Son of Man returns... He's talking about himself. When the Son of Man returns, he will sit on the throne and he will gather the nations to him. And then he will sort them like a shepherd, sorting the sheep from the goats. And he will take the sheep and he will put him on his right hand. And he will take the goats and he will put them on his left. And then he says this. We're going to read this part, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, these are the sheep, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he goes on to say the opposite to the goats. (laughs) What strikes me, and Jesus Jesus has said he's going to return, and we're not going to know when it happens, so we need to be ready. And in the meantime, he expects us to be investing our lives and doing things that matter and things that are eternal instead of temporary. And when he comes back and he sorts through and he looks at who has been faithful and who has not, The criteria is not whether you did crusades that had thousands of people come to them. It's not whether you were the first one to to defy the church or it's not that you were the one who had the law transcribed down on paper or whatever. His criteria, his criteria is how we loved each other. What strikes me is that none of these things are earth-shaking, but they are. None of these things are 
are significant or huge or costly, but they are all impactful. Impactful on a way that doesn't get headlines, that doesn't get posts, that doesn't get attention, that doesn't get glory. These are all small, meaningful, person-to-person things that happen, that we choose because we want to be like Jesus. And so while God may call you to something huge and culture-changing this year, and if he does, you got to step into that because you're one in a million. But I know he is calling every single one of us to this, this year. How do we do something that matters? How do we do something significant this year? We care for each other. We care for each other. And Jesus said, when you're doing that for each other, you're doing it for me. How do we serve Jesus? We serve each other. That's how we do it. We're doing both at the same time. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's the same thing. It's the same thing at the same time. I mean, we can set all kinds of resolutions or goals or whatever this year to, you know, we want to improve our health or we want to improve our jobs or get our grades up or, or you know, whatever. All those things are temporary. But what we do for each other, how we influence and impact each other is eternal. It has eternal reward. It has eternal consequence, and it matters. So our resolution or whatever we decide to do this year to honor God should fall along those lines. So maybe this year it is rearranging your schedule so that you can spend more time caring for someone else. That matters. It might be rearranging your budget so you can provide for someone else. That matters. It might be rearranging your closet so you can clothe someone else. That matters. Might be rearranging your entire home to make room for someone else. They're not big things. They are big things. And so as you think about 2022, did I do these things? Is this what, is this what defined or typified last year? And then look forward and say, 2023, how am I going to love people with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And in doing so, love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if there are changes to be made, go ahead and make the resolution to do it. Don't be afraid of it, okay? And then take the steps and set up accountability for people to help you take the steps and do it as much and as long as you can so that this year you can have an even greater impact than you've ever had before. Right. So if you'll do that, I'm going to do it too. But if we're going to do anything significant, if we've learned anything from Moses, it's that we're not going to do it on our own. And we need his help and his guidance in order to do it. And the Spirit will lead us to what we need to do, each of us. And so let's go to him in prayer and open ourselves up to him and what he wants to do through us this year. God, we come to you and we want you to know that we love you that we're thankful for the relationship that we have with you through Jesus Christ. 
And God, right now, I just want to take a moment. If you want to speak to anyone in the room who's never accepted you as their Savior, and you want to draw them to yourself, and that in this moment, they'd give their life over to you, that in this moment, they would trust you for salvation instead of trusting in themselves. They would believe in Jesus' death in their place and believe in his resurrection and the life that they can have. And that right now, they give their life over to you. Trust you to save them. And Father, as we walk this path and as we, Jesus, as we wait for your return, we want to be faithful to you. We, when you return, we want you to look at our life and we want you to say, good, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. You've taken uh, what I've given you, your life, your energy, your breath, your relationships, your resources, your calendar. Your, you've taken everything I gave you and you've grown it. You've done something that matters. You've invested in people. You've served in the way I called you to. That's what we want to hear from you, God. And so first and foremost today, we want to hear from you. So I ask you to speak to me today and speak to everybody in this room so we understand at least what our next step is in faithfulness to you. Is there something you want us to change? Is there something you want us to to rearrange in our life? Is there something you've already have us doing that you want us to double down on? God, we ask that you speak to us right now. We ask that you continue to speak to us as we continue in prayer. And whatever it is, whatever you lay in front of us, whatever step you show us, we understand we are unqualified to take the step. But as you step with us, there is nothing you will take us to that you will not walk with us. There's nothing that you will take us to that you will not empower. And so we want you to know with all of our heart that we trust you. And so Lord, show us what's next. And give us faith. And our commitment right now in this moment is that we will walk boldly with you. And so God, everything that happens in our life this year, everything that happens in our church, in this entire group through this coming year, we give you all of the glory for it because you inspired it in advance. You empowered it in advance and you brought the fruit from it. And so we take all of this and we put it into your capable, caring, loving hands and express our trust and thankfulness to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.